How many of you have heard this saying before? You Christians are so narrow-minded. You Christians are so radical. Have any of you guys heard that statement towards you? you? You Christians are not progressive in nature. You know, things are changing. And you guys are not subject to the changing times. You ever been in a conversation, you're talking about the things of God with somebody who, who disagrees with you? And it's like they want to fight you. It's like they just, they, they're angry at you. It's like they want to, I don't know, if they, if they could just get away with just choking you, they'd do it. I've gotten into some heated conversations with friends. How many of you have even lost friends because of your stance with Jesus Christ? You lost friendships. Christianity Today, in an article about a year ago, says hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Christians have lost their lives for Christ's sake. And even millions more have been adversely affected because of their stance with Jesus Christ. How many of you heard there was a pastor in California He lost his son, he committed suicide. He's a relatively famous pastor, but he's known for preaching against homosexualities and gay marriages. And when his son died, hate mail, death threats, and all different types of things, negative, just this evil thing towards this pastor and his family just flooded his emails, just flooded the service of the church, protesters all around the church, just hatred. Even in the midst of while he's, they're dealing with the loss of their son. In the great state of Texas where our pastor just came from, there were a group of, uh, there were pastors that was ordered to submit their sermons for so many years for review. It seems like as time goes on, it becomes more politically okay, politically correct to speak out against Christianity. Church, uh, there's prayer that is taken out of the schools. You can't talk about things of Christ while on the job or you'll face losing your job. Seems like if you do get engaged with these discussions, like I said before, they're ready to fight you. It's like, why the anger? We preach love. We preach Jesus. We preach the goodness of Christ, but yet it just seems like there's just so much hatred and animosity, not just in here in America, all across the world. People is even more extreme in other places, losing their lives for, holding, for being in possession of a Bible. They're losing their lives for having a cross that represents Jesus Christ, or just speaking of the things of, of Jesus. They're losing their lives just for having Christian meetings together. It just seems like it just intensifies and intensifies more and more here in America. Maybe we don't see uh, the violence as much here in America, but it just seems like it's okay to be angry and to insult Christians. I remember reading about uh, an artist in New York, I believe. He had a depiction of the cross and had it turned upside down and dumped in a big old container of urine, and it was okay. Just such hatred, just such evil towards Christianity. It makes you wonder, it's like, well, we preach love, we preach Jesus. We, 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 we don't preach, you know, hatred. So why are we hated so much? 
it just seems like we, we, we just hate it. You know, we call right-wing kooks or just you, you're crazy, you're Bible thumpings, you're, you, you, you're crazy. It's, it's okay. It's, it's like this growing, growing, and growing, especially here in the Western Hemisphere, a hatred towards Christianity. And so we ask the question, why do they hate us? Why do they hate us? You do know that because you're identified with Jesus Christ, you do know that you're hated, right? You're hated. Brother Donovan, I came here to tell you that because of your stand, you're hated. And I know you may want to ask the question, well, why? Well, Jesus gives us some answers. Today our text begins in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, the words of Jesus Christ, we're going to begin in verse 18. Our Lord and Savior, he says this, these are his words as he's speaking to the disciples. This is what Jesus says. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus goes on to say this, verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would keep, also keep yours. But all these things they do to you on an account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me, my father also. Whoever hates me, hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. He says, they hated me without a cause. So these words right here, it's the night of Jesus' betrayal. He's warning his disciples of something that they may not have expected when Jesus first called them to follow him. And that is the intense hatred of the Gentile world and the intense hatred of, of their own countrymen. They've seen his hatred towards Jesus. They've seen this already. They've seen it towards them. But they are about to experience it for themselves. Eventually, all of them, except for John, who was uh, banished to the, the island of Patmos, all of them would be martyred, including the Apostle Paul that will come along and join their ranks a little bit later on. 
Even when Jesus was a little child, we know the story, he was hated so much that Herod slaughtered all the little boys from two years old and younger in and around Bethlehem in an effort to eliminate the Messiah, the anointed one. He's hated so much, all the two boys, two years, he ordered them slaughtered. And although the Lord Jesus was the sinless son of God, he was hated without a cause. He was so hated that eventually he was crucified. And not too long ago, people were lying in the streets praising him, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. But right now, they're about to say, crucify him. From the very beginning of the church at Pentecost, those who belong to Christ, they have been despised, especially by religious people. In Acts 5, we read the intense jealousy of the hearts of the high priest and all the associates when they witnessed the large growth of the church. Then Jesus warned his disciples in John 16 and 2. He says, they will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you. So he's telling them they're going to kill you. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. Listen to what happened to Paul in his second letter in the church at Corinth. Follow me with today. Follow me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want you to pay attention. Listen to what Paul went through because of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. I want you to follow along. Listen to what happened to Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, and I'm reading, it says this. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. This is what happens in verse 24. He says, five times I, re I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And then he goes on and says, apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of, a, of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul went through a lot of stuff. Eventually, according to church tradition, Paul had his head cut off by Nero. Speaking of Nero, there was a massive and devastating fire in Rome. It was blamed on the Christians. Nero needed a scapegoat to cover up his own wickedness, and he uses the Christian as a scapegoat. So Christians, they were arrested, they were tortured, they were fed to wild beasts in great arenas, they were crucified. They were even soaked in wax alive and used as a torch to light Nero's gardens. As you can see, this is very demonic and a satanic type of hatred. 
So like I said before, I'm sure you notice that it is politically correct to demean and mock Christians. It seems like it's okay. Don't do it to the other ones, but it's, it's okay to mock the Christians. In the United States, namely the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, freedom of religion is now taking a back seat to the culture of the ferocious appetite for what we call sexual liberty. It's like it's a back seat now. I don't think you need to be convinced of the world's hostility towards Christianity and how it is alive all around the globe. I don't have to convince you that we know that this hostility, this fierce oppression towards Christianity is evident around the world. I don't have to convince you of that. We see about it and we read about it all the time. And my purpose is not to gear up animosity towards the world because we were once like them. And if it was not for God's grace, we would still be like them. I know that's kind of hard to believe, like, huh? In Ephesians 2, Paul says this, he says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So we must bear in mind that even though the world hates us, and this is the satanic and the very same system in which we was delivered from. We was delivered from the same system. So I'm not trying to give up this animosity between us and them, because we were at one time just like them. So as we contemplate Jesus' words, his explanation of why the world hates us, we need to see more clearly why we should have compassion and why we should love our enemies that they might see Christ in us and be saved. So now as we came to come to this text, remember that this is a section of the Lord's, it's kind of like his farewell address to the disciples, just hours before his betrayal and his mock trial, as I like to call it, it's a mock trial, his torture and ultimate crucifixion. Knowing all of this, he still ministers to the disciples. He still ministers to them. He has reminded them of the riches that they enjoy because of the union with Christ. He told them that he was divine and they were the branches. But here in verse 17 through 25, he's going to warn them about the opposition that they are about to experience from the world. We're going to be able to answer this question. Why does the world hate us? Why do they hate us? They being the world and us being us as those who identify with Christ. Why does the world hate Christians? I may, say that this, I may say that this answer might surprise you, but I think it's going to speak directly into our hearts. I would also remind us that there is a high cost to following Jesus. It may even cost us our life, although the glory out far weighs the cost. So it's essentially, Jesus, he's going to give us three primary reasons why the world hates us. He's going to give us three reasons why we are hated. Number one, because we are not of the world. Number one, because we are not of the world. Number two, because we are identified with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And finally, because they don't know God. They don't know God. But I want you to notice first in verse 17, in our text here, it says, because this really sets the stage for what he's going to say. The idea is this, is that because the world's hostility towards Christ is also 
is to those who belong to him. Jesus is going to repeat the instructions that he gave them earlier. He says this in verse 17. This I command you that you love one another. And so this is like a contrast between what he just said and what's going on now, this enmity towards the believers. It reminds us how desperately we need each other in the midst of battle. You know, I get kind of frustrated when I see what they call factions in the body of Christ. When I see divisions in the body of Christ, it kind of frustrates me. And often it results of what they call broken fellowship. I've been through it many times in my short life here on earth. Typically, they spring up because of non-essential things that, you know, people are bickering over. You know, somebody is jealous about this, or somebody don't like the set of worship songs that we sing. We don't have that problem here, right, Sister Gabrielle? I'm just joking. <laughs> this person is always up front, or this person never gets the chance to do this. It's always something minor, some pet peeve, and it kind of frustrates me. I'm going to get to the point in just a minute here. But how can we possibly fight the enemy if we're fighting against each other? If we're fighting amongst ourselves, we can't effectively do battle with the enemy. And to be sure, pride is usually in the midst. Jesus understands this, and obviously, so he warns them, and he commands us to love one another. Then he launches into his first reason why the world hates us, because we are not of this world. But he says in verse 18, he says, if, everyone say if. Or in other words, since the world hates you, that's what he's saying. Since the world hates you, because when we drop down to verse 19, he says, if you were of the world, the idea being that you're not. The point that he's getting here says, if you were there, but you're not, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, and because of this, the world hates you. Had the disciples been a part of the world, they would have nothing to worry about because the world is perfectly comfortable with those who are just like them. So you know, if you're just like them, they don't have any problems with you. If you're going along with the program and changing along with them, they do not have a problem with you. Had the disciples been a part of this, they wouldn't have had nothing to worry about. And unfortunately, there are many believers who think that the reason the world hates Christians is because we're too radical. We're just not kind enough. We need to be more gentle. You know, if the church was more tolerant of others, if we were more sensitive to opposing views, opposing views, then the world would like us. But we know that that is far from the truth. So Satan, he's called the God of this world. Listen to this. Satan is called the God of this world, lowercase g. He is called the ruler of this world. How do we know that? In 1 John 5, 19, we read this. It says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And as we look at scripture, we see that the primary tactics of Satan is demonic. He uses lies, deception, murder, every imaginable kind of evil to prevent people from seeing God and really worshiping the one and true God. He is the one that blinds the minds of unbelievers so that they may not see the gospel. He keeps people in bondage to prevent them from coming to Christ. Even with Christians, his, tact his tactics are really ingenious. He uses guilt, fear, confusion, 
false teaching, misrepresentation of scripture, misapplication of scripture, sickness, slander, anything to rob us of our testimony. He wants to destroy marriages. He wants to destroy families. He wants to destroy the Church of Chicago. And so on the most basic level, we have to understand that Satan, he hates God. He opposes the Lord Jesus Christ and all those who belong to him. He preys upon us, as Peter says, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour. We have to understand that the world gives hearty approval to those who practice evil. So the world hates us, but it loves its own. Notice beginning in verse 19, Jesus is saying this, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. And this is the sad part. Many Christians seek to do, to do this, to become more like the world so that the world will love them. I mean, after all, who wants the enemies? Anyone here wants enemies? None of us want enemies, right? So, so to speak, it's sad to see us to go through great lengths for us to try to look like the world, to try to talk like the world, to try to think like the world, to develop appetites and ambitions and conduct like the world and function like the, uh, like the values that they have, just so that we can be popular. Yet in 1 John chapter 2, 16, we read this. He says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is passing away and also is lust, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. So despite such a clear statement, it's amazing to see how so many churches, they try to develop plans and programs to make it more like the world so that the numbers can go up. They say, we must become like the world in order to win it. We have to do this, we have to do this, we have to do this, so that we can, you know, we have to be like the world so that they can come to us. We have to be like them. One of the things that I notice is that which should attract the unbeliever to Christ is our difference and how different we are. I don't know if this ever happened to you. Has this ever happened to you? You met someone that you hadn't seen in a while or someone that you met for the first time. And as they engage in a conversation with you, they say something like this. There's something different about you. I can't put my, no, it's not your hair. It's not your makeup. It's not your shoes. It's not your tie. I don't know what it is. It's something different about you. And that is what should attract the world to us. Not that we are similar and just like the world. It's because we are different, that we're set apart. So it is not our similarity with the world that attracts the sinners to Christ. It is our difference from it. The world always expects us to be different. This idea that you're going to win people to Christ by showing them that you're just like them is not theologically sound and just outright wrong. So we don't have to be like them in order for them to come to Christianity. It's exactly the opposite. There should be distinct differences. Now notice again what Jesus says at the end of verse 
19. He says this, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because this, the world hates you. You see, the world hates true believers because like the disciples, they have been chosen out of the satanic world system. We read all through scripture. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 and 4 that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world and that we should be holy and blameless before him. So in other words, through the uninfluenced, the sovereign will of God, God has decided to choose us and set us apart. Therefore, this has caused us to be born again. We became new creatures. The old nature has passed away. The more we walk with Christ, the less the things of the world should appeal to us. So now let us be clear. The world will not hate us if we just give a mere just profession of it. But when we see, when we live, and our lives reflect what's on the inside of us, that's when there's a problem. They don't have a problem when you just have a said knowledge of Jesus Christ. But start living it and start letting it become manifest in your life. And that's when you're going to start seeing the hatred. Romans 12 and 2 tells us this. He says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In other words, don't allow ourselves to be influenced by the world that we outwardly conform to this world. We outwardly, we're looking just like them. Even though we're saying on the inside we're different. Don't be conformed. It is like we're wearing some type of mask that don't really reflect who is really on the inside of us. He says, don't do that. Don't let the world cause that to happen to you, but rather, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transform, the word metamorpho, is that we get our word metamorphosis, that, that we should be metamorphosized, we should be changed on the inside and on the outside. But make no mistake, if we live like that and walk in separation from the world, you're going to be rejected because you are imitating Christ who was rejected. If we do that, we're going to be rejected because we are now imitating Christ. You know, I got many unsaved friends or associates or people that I come in contact with on a regular basis. And I've even heard them say this. They say, yeah, Scott, he's a nice guy. You know, I really like him. He's a pretty cool guy. He knows how to drive a truck, do taxes. You know, we're friends. We're buddies. We do some things together. But I noticed that for some of them, deep down on the inside, they have a secret hatred for Christ. I know that because it's been made manifest. I dare you to take a stance on something that, hold, that, they, that holds dear to them. And you take a Christ-like stance against it. All that nice guy and all the other kind of stuff kind of gets thrown out the window. And they hate you don't want to, and have no more dealings with you anymore. And that's okay. I know that deep down in their hearts, they have a secret hatred for Christ. And it's just a matter of time when it comes out. And I think that that's true for some of, some of you also. You must understand that the more discernible the character of Christ is in your life, what I mean by that, the more people really can see Christ in your life, the more and more instances 
of hatred or confrontation or opposition you're going to experience. Especially when the opportunity arises where for some reason you line up on some moral issue, some religious issue, or some issue that they hold dear to them, and when you line up on the opposite side of them, you'll see what happens. And if that hasn't happened to you yet, keep living. This leads us to our second reason that Jesus gives us for why the world hates us. And that is because we are identified with Jesus. Verse 18, it says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Church of Chicago, there is perhaps no greater evidence of the depraved or sick nature of man when he utters contempt for that or he that is completely holy, who is totally good and pure. They have contempt for someone who is righteous for someone that is just, for someone who is all-powerful. All of these which are the perfections of God as we're learning on Wednesday nights. This betrayal is not only because of a limited vocabulary when a people just takes the, so easily takes the Lord's name in vain and is just totally slandered and they do it so comfortably. It's just a total disregard for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Jews attacked Jesus for violating their man-made laws pertaining to the Sabbath, for calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. The religious leaders, they hated him because he exposed their sins to them. He exposed them of their hypocrisy. They hated him because they could never catch him in some of their clever traps and schemes. They were always trying to catch Jesus in some type of trap that they could uh, use against them. They could never beat him in a debate. But at the most fundamental level, the reason why they hate him and the reason why the world hates him today is because by the very nature, they are in rebellion to God. And they serve their father, the devil. So reason number two is because we are identified with Christ. And Jesus says, they hated me before they even hated you. And so therefore, by us being identified with Jesus Christ, they're going to hate us too. The world hates us, and there is a great and high cost of following Jesus. But I came to tell you, but it's worth it all. We would all do well to remember the words of the Apostle Paul, who suffered so greatly for Christ. He says in 2 Timothy 3 and 12, he says this, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. Isn't that something? All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. The contrary is also true. If you don't desire to live God in Christ Jesus, you won't be persecuted because the world, it loves its own. It loves you. But know this, as Peter says, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. So again, Jesus says in verse 20, if they persecuted me, 
they will also persecute you. And then he adds this word of encouragement, and I'm thankful for his encouragement. He says, if they kept my word, they would keep yours also. In other words, some people out of the world who heard the gospel message, they'll be, they'll be believers. There's going to be some that believe, but most of the people, it probably won't. They prefer darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Scripture says this, they suppress the truth. And every time we give them the gospel, it's kind of like we're trying to pry open that lid and they're constantly trying to suppress the truth. They know it's right and we're giving them the gospel and it's like we're trying to open up that lid and they're suppressing the truth. And they hate you for it. They hate you for giving them the truth. But isn't it a blessing and it's refreshing when you see someone come to Christ and you see the move of God work, working in someone's life. It seems like it makes it, it makes it worth it all, and I've seen it so many times. So the world, it hates us because we are not of the world and because we are identified with our Lord Jesus Christ. And finally this, because they do not know God. That's why they hate you. They do not know God. Verse 21, it says this, but all of these things they will do to you for my name's sake. In other words, on account of me, because of me, this is what's going to happen, because they do not know the one who sent me. He says, they do not know the one who sent me. So ultimately, the world is going to hate you. Hate us because of Jesus, because who Jesus is. He is the one who is sent from God. The revelation of God the Father, they don't know God and the Father, so therefore when you speak about Jesus, and basically his name speaks of Christ himself revealed in the gospel, when the world hears the gospel message, they're going to hate you because they don't know God. The disciples later experienced this very same thing in the book of Acts. As preparing for this, I decided to look at the Acts of the Apostles and see what they went through. And in Acts chapter 4, uh, I'm going to summarize here. As you recall that the religious authorities, they called Peter and John and they commanded them not to speak at all the name of Jesus. They said, no, don't speak that name Jesus no more. They said, don't do it no more. And of course, they continued to do it. They told them to cut it out, stop it. But they continued on anyway. Will we have the courage to keep going. We have a radio ministry called Power Walk Today. Pastor Spencer, I don't know if you've gotten it yet, but I believe that as the message starts to reach the masses and masses of people, Pastor Spencer, I'm sure you know this better than me, expect the hate mail to come. Expect the, the nasty emails to come. Expect the nasty phone calls to come. Why? Because they don't know God. And it seems like more and more is politically correct, uh, incorrect to pray in Jesus' name. You notice that? I know, I actually know some people, they were asked to pray at some type of gathering, and they were said, you can pray, but do not mention the name of Jesus Christ. And it's now it's so comfortably for people to ask pastors and ministers and people of God to do that. So, oh, you can pray for me, but just don't pray in the name of Jesus. 
Jesus is telling us to expect this. Notice, Jesus goes on to explain that the world's hostility proves that they do not know the one who sent him. You know, if they had known the Father, they would have known the Son, the Lord Jesus. Verse 23 says this, He who hates me hates my Father also. So let us be clear, the world hates us because they do not know the one and true God, because by nature they are alienated and they have a hostile mind towards him. Paul says this, he says, they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And again, we should bear in mind that we were just like them at one time. We were just like them at one. I know it's hard for us to believe, but scripture tells us at one time in our hearts, we were just like them. And so therefore, we need to love them and not hate them. Take, for example, the current debate in our culture. Right here in America, the, the debate over homosexuality. Let's just take that one for example. For example. Now, we cannot expect the unbeliever to submit to the truths of the word of God because the things of the spirit, it's, it's foolishness to them. They can't, un, they can't understand it. They say that us Christians, that we hate homosexuals because we acknowledge God's word as being authoritative when he says that homosexuality is a grievous sin and it's an abomination towards him. And those that practice that sin shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And we quote scripture. We say, it tells us, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, we say, and we believe that scripture is the authoritative word of God. And they say, well, you guys are hate mongers. You guys are hateful. And that is not the case. But just because we do not support the homosexual lifestyle does not mean that we don't love them. It doesn't mean that. We're not saying that we don't love them. In fact, we love them more than others because we're willing to stand up to a world that hates us in order to warn them and to call them into repentance. We love them because we will stand up to a world that is ready to kill us. But Jesus has more to tell his disciples as I wrap things up this afternoon. He says this in verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. He said, if I hadn't did it, they wouldn't have sin. This sin is, re is referring to the willful rejection of Christ, despite having a clear understanding of the truth. They have a clear understanding of the truth. And he says this, but now they have no excuse for their sin. No excuse for their sin. He goes on and says, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. You see, the Jews, you know, they witnessed the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They witnessed him do all these different things. They've seen him heal the sick. They've seen him raise the dead. They've seen him do all these great things that's not even written down, but yet they still rejected Christ. And they despite, and, and, and they still hate him. So I plead with you to set aside your pride and embrace him as Lord and Savior if you have not. One would think that all this hostility towards the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that it would thwart his plan. It would thwart his plan. It just seems like just, it's just so much opposition. 
And I think maybe the disciples, they probably thought that, man, if we're going to experience all this stuff, they're going to kill us and do all this other stuff. How is your, how is your plan is going to work? They're, they're probably saying, my goodness, you're going to leave us? We don't even understand all what's going on. What are we going to do? And he, Jesus says this, but they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. In other words, he's saying, look, don't panic here. They're doing this without even the cause so that the scripture may be forgive, for, uh, uh, the scripture may be fulfilled. And why does God tolerate all of this? Why, why does he allow all of this? Simply because it's the sovereign will of God. He has a plan, and that plan would not be thwarted. He has a perspective that we cannot see. But as we kind of end this discussion this morning, a couple of questions that we kind of need to ask ourselves. I did say ourselves, right? Do we seek the applause of men or do we want the applause of God? It's a question that we need to kind of reflect upon. Is being popular with the world more important than being faithful to the God who has saved us by grace? For my young people, let me ask you a question. Who's on your wall that you're idolizing? Adults, teenagers, and children. Who is on your Facebook page that you're idolizing, that you're promoting? Who's on your Instagram and your, all these different chats and things of that nature? Who can't you just miss on television? Why? Because there's a real danger of making those things idols, and the enemy uses those things to appeal to us and just slowly but surely just peel away and peel away at us for our love for Christ and our devotion to him. And that's what he does, slowly subtle things to peel away our devotion and our time and our commitment to Christ. So today, I just came to tell you that it's part of God's plan for them to hate us. But they hate us because of who we belong to. And they hate him without a cause. Brother Abel, when he preached last week, that Jesus simply made the statement, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that offended many people. God wants us to know that he loves us, but the world hates us because of his son, Jesus Christ. 